This is Dan Yeeman from Open City, Painted Black, and Bitter Branches, and you are listening to The New Scene. everybody and welcome to the new scene i am your host keith and we're back with another brand new episode and we've got another great one for you this week we have rob fish you know rob fish everyone knows rob fish 108 resurrection the judas factor and he's got an excellent new band unsufferable who just put out a new seven inch on iodine recordings it's great he's great and we cover everything in this conversation. You're going to love it. It's coming up shortly, but first, let's get the podcast business out of the way. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Reviews. We're getting ever closer to 200 Apple Podcast reviews. We're at 187. We just need 13 more, and then we can take a break for a while. If you listen on an iPhone, Open up the podcast app, search the new scene, scroll down, and hit that five-star button. You don't have to write a review. Hitting the five-star button is the important part. But if you do write a review, I'll read it at the end of the show. Shirts. We have shirts for sale at Death Wish Inc. We've got a long-sleeve option and a variety of t-shirts. Pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. The Quicksand Slip video is out now. Remember that panel discussion for Slip that happened at Generation Records a couple months ago? It was filmed by Sonny from Hate56, and it's out now. Search it out, and check it out, because if you're a Quicksand fan, this is a must-watch. When I was there, I learned a a ton of cool stuff about Quicksand and Slip and just everything about the band that I didn't know previously. The panel featured Walter himself, Norman Brannon, Casey from Iodine Recordings, photographer John Marcus. He took that iconic photo of Walter when he's kind of hunched over with the guitar, and artist Melinda Beck, who did some of Quicksand's most iconic artwork. Horsewhip have March tour dates. Check out their page for a full list of dates. No Man, Glitter and Spit, the new LP was just announced. Pre-order your copy today and catch them live with Strike Anywhere. They've got two gigs, May 3rd in Richmond, Virginia, and May 4th in Brooklyn at St. Vitus. And finally, join the Iodine Noise Cult, Volume 3. If you sign up, you'll get every new Iodine vinyl release that's coming out this year. That's all 14 records. You get rare deluxe variants, free shipping, bonus flexies, hand-numbered OB strips. The list goes on and on. There's only 50 spots, so sign up soon. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor. End Hits Records. You know them, you love them and they're home to many bands we know and love. Hot Water Music, Don't Sleep, Boy Sets Fire, As Friends Rust, Be Well, 
Terror, Values Here, the list goes on and on. End Hits Records was founded in Berlin, Germany in 2013 and are now operating out of Germany and the Western United States. All releases are available through Death Wish for North America and Evil Greed for Europe and the UK. They recently released Chuck Reagan's The Blueprint Session on double vinyl. That's on vinyl for the first time. They also released The Draft. That's three-fourths of Hot Water Music plus Todd from Discount. The record In A Million Pieces is fully remastered on a gatefold 2X LP. It includes all songs from the full length, the 7-inch records, two unreleased demos, and live tracks from a radio session in the UK. Upcoming releases will include the discography box set from Swedish hardcore legends, Abhinanda. Did you see Dennis Lixon of Refused did an unboxing video for the LP on his YouTube channel? Go check it out. We've got new music from Hot Water Music coming. We've got new music from Hot Water Music. We've got the 10th anniversary edition of Bane's legendary Don't Wait Up LP. Oh, and catch this. I saw that values here just got added to the Shelter Civ show in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. That show's in April. I can't wait. And I'm really stoked that Values Here got added because I've been waiting to see them and I love their debut LP. Take your time, I'll be waiting. Check it out and stay updated on new releases. Be the first to know about pre-orders by signing up for the newsletter at endhitsrecords.com. Also, follow them on Instagram at end underscore hits underscore records. Okay. So listen, check back in with me in segment three. We'll check in, we'll talk about how we're doing. I had a busy weekend. I saw Shy Low. I saw Code 7. There's a lot going on, and we'll cover everything. But first, we are going to speak to Rob Fish of 108 and Unsufferable. Enjoy. We are here now with Rob Fish. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, Rob, it's great to have you here. I mean, look, you've done an incredible amount of things over the years. Resurrection, 108, The Judas Factor, Unsufferable, your new band, which we're excited to hear. And listen, we're going to cover all of that and maybe even more. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? Uh, today? You know, it's actually been a pretty good start to the week. So work's, work's been smooth. Uh, then I got uh, my discussions with you. And then uh, this evening, my wife and I are going to go out and see uh, explosions in the sky. 
So, uh, no, yeah, I've, I've, it's funny. I've listened to them forever. Um, I've never seen them live. And my wife actually, I think, saw their first show. She used to work with uh, one of the guys when she lived in Austin and, and ended up being at their first show. But they're playing here tonight. And uh, while Monday nights are a hard night for me to get out with work and everything, I, I kind of couldn't pass it up. So it's going to be a good day. That is amazing. I've seen them twice around 2006 and 2007 when I first got into them. And uh, yeah, I definitely have to see them again one day. Excellent, excellent band. Yeah, no, definitely very, very excited. I mean, it's I, just, I, I've i always really appreciated everything they've done. And I just, for whatever reason, I guess whenever they tour, I'm, I'm either not around or don't, don't know anything about it. So, you know, I saw something about it a few days ago. I was like, I, I got to make it happen. So excited. Where are you living these days? Uh, these days, God, it's going to be, uh, I've been here now just about 10 years, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So I've been oh, on Oh, you're the, in uh, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I've been on the West Coast now for, God, this will be 23 years now. Um, but I've been in Arizona. It'll be 10 years in, in August. What brought you out there? Uh, work. So I, I moved out to, uh, God, it was to Oakland back in uh, February of 2001 for work. I used to work for a company called Kinko's. And uh, as all good hardcore kids back uh, did back in the day, and uh, they yep. relocated, <laughs> relocated me out to the uh, Oakland area, and I've, I've been out here ever since. But I, I lived in uh, Oakland for or the Bay Area for about 10 years, and then went up to Portland, Oregon for, uh, for five years. And then uh, work brought me down to, uh, to Phoenix, Arizona, and like I said, been here for almost 10 years. And, you know, trying to figure out now where the next chapter is, we'll, we'll, we'll head on our way sometime in the near future. And you're married, you said? Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm married to a, a wonderful woman who I actually met uh, the first time. God, it was uh, 1994 uh, on tour in Europe. Um, her and her sister from Holland, and uh, they had a good friend, a German guy named Martin, who uh, was a roadie for 108. Uh, and so we met back then and then she moved to the U S and over the years, we kind of had some similar friends and my, my first marriage ended and, uh, she was no longer married and, you know, we kind of crossed each other's paths and that was it. We went, uh, she lived up in Portland at the time I was in the uh, Bay area and I, I went up there and, you know, we had one of the the more iconic first dates. We went to go see control, which, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but it was about, uh, joy division, uh, which oh, is yeah, definitely not the, yeah. uh, not the first state movie most people do, but uh, I think uh, it was a good sign for us. And yeah, we've been we've been married together now for over 16 years. Nice. You have a kid too, right? I've got two of them. So I've got a 26-year-old and a soon-to-be 22-year-old. Ah, excellent. Yeah, I, I have this distinct memory of back in the day, uh, you playing a Judas Factor gig and your son was there. He couldn't have been more than four years old and you had him on stage while you were singing. And you, he, he was just there and in front of you. It was a really surreal and awesome moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say then with those years, they were probably around two years old, actually. They, my, young, my oldest was born in 1997. So, um, so yeah, they were, they were real young back then. Um, it's, it's wild. Time flies. It really does. It really does. <laughs> uh, so you grew up in North Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Edison, which is a town uh, real, real close to, to New Brunswick where Rutgers is. And uh, I went to the same high school. Ari uh, Katz from Lifetime and I were uh, in the same class together. And that's that's where we met. And, uh, you know, a, a bunch of a bunch of people from that school, you know, kind of went on to do some some really cool stuff in the, the punk and hardcore scene, skateboarding, stuff like that. But yeah, I, I grew up in Edison, New Jersey. Ah, so, you know, that's funny that you mention 
Ari was in your class. I had Dan Yemen on the show. Yeah. And he he t- he told a story about he was putting a band together mm-hmm. and he I think he said he let you borrow a four track and you were going to record some vocals over a song potentially. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went to there's this record store that uh is in Edison called uh, Vintage Vinyl. And I went there and uh, the band, you know, I, my first band that I'd been in had broken up and, you know, I was kind of thinking I wanted to do music again. And I saw his flyer and it kind of referenced like Dag Nasty and Verbal Salt, which despite what most of my bands sound like, like that's the type of, that's, that's, those are some bands that just, I really loved. And so I took the flyer and he, he gave me the, uh, he gave me the four track and I listened to the songs and I really liked it, but I was like, ah, this isn't me. And you know, it was interesting. Ari and I had kind of, I wouldn't say drifted apart, but he, like we, we, our, our senior year, you know, kind of, I guess a little bit went in different directions. And, uh, but I happened to bump into him in the Jersey shore in Point Pleasant. And, uh, you know, he, we were talking and he was like, you know, I, re- I really want to do a band. Like I want to sing in a band. And I was like, Oh, like what, what type of band? He's like, you know, like, I don't know, Descendants, Dag Nasty. And I was like, dude, I got, I got the dude for you. And uh, I, I gave him that, and, and yeah, that, that was that was that was the uh, start of lifetime. That is amazing that you connected them like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of my prouder moments. I remember when uh, 108 was on tour. I think it was 1995 in Europe um, with a, a band called Abinanda, and uh, the Lifetime Jersey Best Dancer LP just came out, and. I remember still to this day sitting on the tour bus listening to it and like literally crying because I was just like so floored that people that I knew and and loved and had such a connection with had written such a, for me, like such an amazing album. Like I, I, and I, I don't think I, aside from maybe some Oasis records, I don't think I listened to anything but Oasis and, uh, and Lifetime on that entire, you know, two, two and a half month tour. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that record came out shortly after I got into all this music and Lifetime was already broken up, but just a yeah. all-time classic. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I loved it. So it's definitely a proud moment for me to know that I, I had something to do with those guys getting together. So your first band where you were vocalist, was that Release? Yeah, that was my that was my first band. Um, you know, started when I was 15, you know, recorded all the stuff when I was 15 and 16. And, you know, it was interesting in that, I mean, I'll, I'll say that this this still rings true. Like, I've always been the absolutely least talented person of any band I've been in. I'm not a I'm not a writer. I'm not a musician. Uh, but especially, you know, funny with release, I, I didn't even write the lyrics. Um, I think I wrote a few lines in a, a song called "The Pain Inside," which is like the name of our first EP. And then I I wrote a few songs on like our later. EPs, uh, the split record we did with Courage, but you know, I, I just you know they they kind of wrote the stuff and I sang it, and I think they they just put me in the band because I was you know out of my mind, uh, and I at least was was somewhat entertaining in that in that in that respect. But yeah, that was my that was my first ever band, and you know we got to do some some pretty cool stuff, especially considering you know our ages and our our talent level, if you will. So you're 15 years old. How do you decide you want to sing for a band? I read that uh, you got into punk rock. You know, you had a friend in your shop class who gave you a black flag cassette and you kind of ran with it from there. So how do you hook up with release? Do you just show up and try out and get in? How does it work? No. So, um, so 
so yeah, it was my, my first day of high school. And, uh, you know, I grew up like a hip hop kid. That's what I was into. And this, this other guy was a metalhead. And anyway, yeah, we, we had known each other from when we were younger and somehow first day of high school shop class, like we get sat next to each other and, you know, I'm, I'm going on and on about hip hop and shit I love. And he's going on and on about, he was a metalhead, but he was like, yeah, like when I was talking about what I loved about punk rock, he gave me, he gave me that, that, you know, he gave me a, a cassette that had, you know, Black Flag and a few other things on it, but Black Flag, just like from that moment on, it was all, it was all about punk rock. And I've always still loved hip hop, but punk rock definitely took center stage. But, um, but in my high school, uh, there was Chris Cap, and he was a drummer for release, and he was a year older than us. Uh, but he was like in our whole crew. Like we had a ton of, there was probably like 20 to 25, like straight edge kids, like hardcore kids in my high school. Like we all got into it at the same time. Maybe not that many, maybe it was more like 10 or 15, but there was, there was quite a bit. Uh, but Chris was one of them. Uh, he played drums and, you know, he had a, he had a, a bigger house comparative to the rest of us. I'm sure if I saw it now, I think it's tiny, but back then it was like, Oh my God, he's got a big house. And he had a basement and his parents worked later uh and so he had drums in his basement so like that was the place we all kind of hung out in and picked up instruments and anyway like he he was a drummer um and what happened was i think he ended up his parents ended up moving down to south jersey um which was really hard because like like i said his his house at the time was kind of the center of our universe and uh, he moved down there and he met this guy, Greg, and another guy named Eric, and they started playing and he hit me up and he's like, hey, I, you know, because like we still hung out, like I, I would find a way to get a train down to his place or, you know, he would come up to Edison and he was like, I, you should sing in the band. And and that's just how it happened. It wasn't, you know, really a band at that point, but uh, we recorded like three songs and then, you know. Of course, that didn't, you know, the, the guitar play didn't really work out. And so he found this other guy. And then, you know, I, uh, yeah, we just, we started playing and we ended up meeting Chris Zuzai, um, who also played in Resurrection with me, the Judas Factor with me, played in like Floor Punch and a few other bands. Uh, but he was playing in another band and, um, you know, we happened to like practice together or something. And anyway, we just, we kind of lassoed him in and, and release became a thing. We went and, you know, recorded a, a demo pretty quickly. And luckily, you know, we were all friends with uh, the guys from Vision. They were like our our older, smarter brothers. And, uh, you know, it was funny, like we, we weren't in a band yet. Um, and what happened was Chris came up because um, he was already living in South Jersey. He came up and we went to a, a practice of Visions that I think was at, if I remember right, it was Dave Franklin's girlfriend's house at the time. And it was more like a show than a practice. Like there were that many kids there. And uh, I just remember afterwards we were, me and Chris were talking to Dave, the singer. And we're just like, man, like we fucking love your band. Like you're so fucking awesome. And he's like, you guys need to do a band. And I remember I, I like laughed and I was like, dude, I don't know how to do anything. He's like, no, like you two need to do a band. And you know, it was such that if, if fucking Dave from vision said, you're going to do a band, like you're going to do a band. And, uh, yeah. so anyway, like he, so Chris went back and he found these guys and then said to me, all right, dude, you're singing. And I'm like, all right. And that was, that was that. How was that? Because, you know, you had never sung in a band before. Did you really struggle? Were you scared? Did you have to really work at it? How did it go? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I look, I, I, as a kid, I was a bit of a train wreck, like in, in every way, shape and form, emotionally, physically, mentally like just i was all over the place and so 
I guess one of the only upsides to that was like that it didn't scare me. Like I, I am definitely like an introvert. I, I, I never, as a kid, even as adult, go to parties, things like that. Like that's too hard for me. But something about you know music for me, like growing up, I music was really like one of the only ways I understood to kind of deal with emotions. And I think the little bit that started with my mom. My mom, you know, she had you know she had some 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 really tough mental and physical issues um which you know eventually led to her passing but i remember still early on like when she would put on the beatles she would cry tears of happiness and when she would put on janice joplin it was tears of sadness and so i was a lot like her in that i was just i was emotionally pretty pretty damaged and so music very, you know, very succinctly was something that just like I kind of used to to like understand and channel my emotions. So singing in a in a hardcore band, being a screwed up, you know, fifteen year old boy, um, was was probably just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, I read, you know, by as early as age nine, you had dealt with a lot of abuse and family member suicides and attempted suicides and all kinds of stuff that I can't even imagine someone that young dealing with and processing in any healthy way. So uh, once you got into this band, I mean, w- was your life just really messy before that, before you had an outlet to uh, to control what was going on? It was. I mean, I did crazy things, but I, I do think it's important to say, like, I... I came from a loving family. Like my mother and father loved me. Did I always feel connected to them? No. Could my mother be abusive? Um, because look, my mother was was sexually and physically abused as a kid. She had a lot of mental, you know, anguish and and some issues and and physical issues, which at the time they didn't know what it was. And so, you know, people when they're in those situations, you know, what comes out is is kind of what they what they know. And because she grew up in that type of environment, you know, it led to me, you know, having to deal with that to a degree. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a lack of love, but I didn't feel connection to anybody. I think the best way I could say it was like I kind of felt like I was a, a character in a movie uh, and I had no say in, 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 in the scenes. Right. Like I felt like I was always watching everything happen around me and it was just happening to me. But, you know, despite that, you know, yeah, music really like it, it didn't. I, I would say I still was in a pretty tough spot for for a long time, but it it definitely gave me a way to kind of release some of that energy. And then as I got more comfortable and started to like learn how to express myself, it definitely like became a, a huge part of my my evolution and growth. But you know, like I said, I mean, I think with with the release, I think I maybe wrote three songs, four songs of all the records and songs we did. Um, Resurrection was the first band I was in where I, I wrote stuff. And, you know, I think that the culmination of, of music as kind of a therapeutic vehicle for me was, uh, you know, the Judas factor when I wrote, you know, the, 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 the content to Ballads in Blue China, that was probably the most therapeutic thing I've ever, ever done in my life. Yeah. I distinctly remember that because Judas Factor was really getting started when I got into this music. 108 was gone. It was just a myth. It was just these great records from these people that I would never get to see because the the band was broken up. But you were in the Judas Factor. And I distinctly remember, I think I read an interview with you somewhere or something where you said you put the lyrics for Beauty Mark 
right on the cover of the CD and that this was the first time that you really, truly wrote about everything personally going on with you. Because in other bands, you know, Vic would write a lot of 108 stuff or, you know, like you mentioned, other people in release would write things. So you had opportunities to write lyrics, but this was the first time you really put it all out there. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I mean, you know, I think with a lot of people with, with trauma, it's, you know, it, it can take time to be able to even just accept that these things happen, what to speak of, start dealing with it. And, you know, I, you know, during the, the release phase, you know, I was kind of like a rabid animal. Like I just, I, everything about it was embarrassing that the way that I conducted myself, the way I treated and interacted with people was like, just kind of embarrassing. But I was just, I was that in that bad of a space mentally and emotionally with resurrection. I think things, I, you know, I think it's common that just with age, things started to like settle a little bit more. I started to kind of figure out like what it is. I like, what I wanted to be and the fact that I wasn't in a movie and I did have a say in my life, but it, it took a long time and it was this long, grueling process to get to the point where I could, you know, I could start to express myself in a, in a healthy manner. And, you know, the Judas factor was kind of the culmination of that. Yeah. It's weird how traumas work through us and we don't even realize what's going on. I myself went through a number of things when I was really young. And when I look back now, I can see, okay, these things happened. And then I was stuck in addiction for like 15 years. And then I finally got out of that. And then I could finally start to unravel everything that was going on and learn to process things in a healthy way for the first time. But when you're in it, you don't, you don't even realize what's going on. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, you know, you don't know you don't know what's going on and and especially back then i mean i i don't think for the most part like the 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 music scene was not like you didn't talk about those things um and you know there was definitely a sense of vulnerability in doing it but it was it was a life changing and life altering period for me to be able to finally do that and what's funny about it though is that i could never go back and play those songs again you know, because the, the content itself, like it hurts so much to revisit it, but it was also still like this thing that I'll always like have so much love for that, that record because it really was, I think it just helped me kind of, I wouldn't say close a chapter, but it definitely helped me kind of, you know, deal with, with the heaviest parts of the trauma and then start to kind of figure out who I was and what I wanted to do after that. Yeah. And I mean, even in 108, like I, you know, up until the end of 108, I, I didn't write anything. Like I, I would have a say in the lyrics and I'd move things around. I'd, I'd help, you know, construct maybe the songs. But the first song I ever wrote in 108 was actually called, was a song called Curse of Instinct, which was on our last record. And I think, you know, if, if anybody wants to understand like what I felt like up until that period of my life, that song kind of encapsulates it. And I think when I wrote that, that's what kind of gave me the impetus later to do the the Judas Factor. Not the first EP, because I feel like that was a little bit of a step back in that, you know, again, I wasn't really dealing with like this. I wasn't expressing the things I was going through. I was talking about stuff. But, you know, after that, it was like, no, like that, that record helped me. That song helped me a lot. I need to I need to do this whole record like that. It needs to be that that bare bones. Yeah, when I read that Curse of Instinct was the first 108 song where you really 
wrote all the lyrics and just talked about what was going on. I I loved that because I have this distinct memory of being 18 and I was like really high and listening to that song <laughs> and showing it to somebody and being like, oh, you got to hear this and listen to this. And I, I just loved the, the lyrics and I connected with it. And, you know, I was going through my own shit. So to hear that that was the first song where you really let it all out. And I'm like, okay, no wonder there was a connection there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, and it's funny, like, I remember we did the, the Judas Factor EP, and I remember listening to it and being like, what am I doing? Like, like if I'm going to do this, like, I got to do something that's like, that, I don't know, gets to like, I don't know, I, I need to do something that really represents like who and what I am and what I'm, what I'm trying to navigate. And so, like, you know, it, it, it was something that, you know, like I said, it, it ended up being like a life-changing moment for me in, in a lot of ways that I'm just always going to be grateful for. How was it for you during the Judas Factor? Now, I remember seeing you a couple of times during that era and being really into it. I mean, did did you enjoy the band considering the uh, the heavy emotional aspect to the lyrics and everything? And, you know, it, and it wasn't, uh, I guess it wasn't quite as crowd pleasing as 108 because it was something different like how did you feel about it yeah i mean it was it was very therapeutic to me until it wasn't right like so like going up until writing that record and getting that record out was great and then i remember like towards the end of the, the we did a us tour for it and i started to really start to again have some pretty heavy mental issues. And I think it was because now I'm revisiting this trauma every night. And I was like, I don't think I, I I think it was really important to write these songs, but I can't keep playing these things because it's just, it, it was wreaking havoc on me emotionally and and psychologically. I, I started to kind of see like, all right, like, you know, it's like anything, like a medicine, right? It's it's good to take it, but you got to follow the the doctor's orders, right? You you got to know when to take it, how often to take it. Otherwise, it you know what what's meant to be a healing, you know, something to heal you can can you know become a detriment. And I think that's that's kind of what happened to me with uh, with that band. So that ultimately led to you uh, exiting that band. Yeah, yeah, we broke up, and uh, I moved. I moved out west, and you know, I remember like my 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 wife and I at the time. You know, we had our, our young our young child, and uh, I just I felt like we needed a change, and so we we applied for some credit cards. Somehow we got them. We took a trip to India for two and a half weeks, and when I got back, I landed, and I was like, all right, like it's time to go, like. Being in New York, and at the time we had just moved back to New Jersey for maybe like three or four months. But I was like, seeing these places every day and seeing these people is like, it's too much of a reminder of all that. And I, I kind of need to to step away for a while. And so, you know, Norm uh, Brandon, who you know, sang, you know, played played in Texas and you know does antimatter. I'm, I'm sure you know who he is. But he, you know, him and I were like best friends, and he had just recently moved out to uh, Oakland. And so I, I got home that night and um, I went to the uh, Kinko's intranet <laughs> that they had at the time where they had all their jobs listed. And I saw one in uh, Concord, California, which is a suburb of Oakland. I applied for it that night. Um, and, you know, weeks later, I was moving out to California. Yeah, I've had Norman on the show and he spoke fondly of you saying, you know, that you looked out for him in the early days and he was living with you at one point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How long was he living with you? Uh, I want to say probably like four months or something. Like I met him. I, I well, first off, I don't think Norm did not like me when we when when he first came upon me. Um, 
And that was my release days. And so him and all his friends kind of hated me. Uh, but somehow I had, I had lived in the Philadelphia temple and moved out. And then, you know, about a year later, I, I happened to go there and, and he happened to be there. And for whatever reason, like we talked and, you know, he ended up moving back to the Brooklyn temple, Hare Krishna temple. And him and I would talk all the time. And he was just like, dude, I hate it here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yo, just come like live with me. Like I live with my dad. We had a tiny house in Edison, New Jersey. You know, we had kind of built like a, a little room out in my garage because when my when my mother was was really sick for a period, um, and it's going to sound crazy saying this, but my dad worked at a liquor store at night. And he had met this woman who was 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 quasi homeless. She lived in some hotels. She lived in a car. You know, she lived in you know the woods by our house. And you know, my dad needed help taking care of my mother because my mother was completely bedridden. You know, I was in school. I was I was you know touring with release and doing stuff like that. So he had this woman move into our house, but it was only a two bedroom house. So I, I got home from a from a weekend with release and learned that I was now living in the garage because this, this woman was living in my room. Um, but anyway, my mother had passed away. And when Norm, you know, was living in the temple, I was like, look, why don't you just come, come, you know, live with us. And so we did. And, you know, of course he plays guitar and, you know, we only had one guitar player Our our other guitar player quit the guy I started resurrection with quit. Um, so Norm ended up joining and he wrote a song with us and we went on a tour and, you know, that was our, our period living together, but, you know, we remained, you know, best friends from, from that time forward. Right. Cause he played with you in resurrection and in 108 too, at one point, right? So when he played it, so what happened with 108 is it's kind of a weird story. Um, so resurrection played a show. I, I knew Vic because I had lived in the Philadelphia temple and shelter became a band and were on tour. And when they finished their tour, they decided to move to the Philadelphia temple where I was already living. And so you know, look, I loved youth today and stuff like that, but I was not a, I was not a Ray Capo fan. Like, I don't know why, like I didn't have anything against him, but we weren't like, I wasn't like I was psyched to live with him. Um, but anyway, Vic and I ended up sharing a room with a bunch of other people too. And, you know, kind of just, I don't know, we be, kind of came like, like friends, like friends during that period. And when my mother passed away, I moved out of the temple and anyway, I started resurrection this is before Norm had played with us. And we played a show in Washington, D.C. It was like No Escape, Worlds Collide, um, I want to say McRad, Lifetime, and Resurrection. And right before we played, Worlds Collide showed up and Vic was there. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I have a new band. We're going to play a few songs for Worlds Collide. And so Resurrection played and then Worlds Collide played and, and 108 played. And I knew this singer. You know, I knew him really well, this guy Jay. Uh, and he's a great guy, but I wasn't a fan of him as a singer. And I saw their band and I was like, oh, well, I mean, the music's pretty cool. And the next day, like Vic calls me at my house and he's like, hey, I just kicked the singer out. Like, we want you to sing. So I was like, all right, like, cool. And he's like, we already have a record recorded. Can you come down next weekend and record vocals on it? And I was like, okay. And I, and I, and again, I'd only heard them that, like that one time live. And so I went down to to Potomac, Maryland, where Vic lived at some at a Hare Krishna temple, and we went to a studio, and I, I did these like scratch tracks for vocals, just more to like because I again I had never heard the songs before, so they gave me the lyrics, they let me hear the songs, and I did some kind of scratch tracks more to like just learn the song a little bit, and the idea was that the next day I'd go back and record the record, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I go back to where he stays and the phone rings and he's not there. So I pick it up and this is like, you know, this, this Swami, this, you know, Hare Krishna priest, if you will. And he's like, oh, it's you, Bhakta Rob. All right. Well, hey, you know, you got to make sure you shave your head and you got to move into the temple. And I was just like, I'm fucking out of here. So I, I literally got like left, got on a bus, went home and was like, I'm not doing this. Like, I can't like I, there are certain things that I love about the the Krishna thing. And there are certain things that really resonated with me. But there were also things that I didn't care about and that didn't resonate me and I didn't believe in. And so the idea that this was going to be a quote unquote, like, you know, Hari Krishna band, as opposed to a band that kind of expressed some of these things was like a, a big deal for me. So anyway, I quit the band and then, you know, Vic convinced me to come back on. He's like, hey, and Norm's going to play guitar. And I, and I love Norm and he was living with me. So I'm like, all right, this is great. Um, but actually we got back from the U.S. tour. It was a lifetime resurrection tour. And it was about seven weeks, I think, around the U.S., and it was all of us in this tiny like cargo van, no windows, you know, all of our equipment, all of our merch in the van with us. Um, we had this like loft that you could only get in and out of by people sliding you in and out of it, almost like a like a like an oven, like putting a pizza oh. oven. That's how you had to get in it. Anyway, like when the tour ended, uh, I got home and my my dad had sold his house, so we I had nowhere to live, uh, and Norm had nowhere to live. So I, I can't remember where Norm went, but we were supposed to like a few weeks later, go meet up and do a 108 tour. And I ended up like living in my car um, for a little while, couch surfing for a little while. And I ended up borrowing like 150 bucks and renting a room somewhere. And I was just like, you know what? I can't go on this. I can't go on this tour. And so I just, I just didn't show up to the first show. What era of the band was that in? This was like, this was before 108 was really like a band anybody knew about. They played three shows. They played a, a show in Connecticut, a show at the Unisound, and I can't remember where else. Um, but it was funny. So the first show was at the Unisound. I didn't show up to it. So Vic sang. The second night was in Connecticut. I did show up to that, but not to sing. It was just kind of just be like, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but I, I can't do this. And anyway, Vic broke the band up like after that that show. Because he's like, I can't sing. I don't want to sing. I'm not doing this. I'm going to move to India. And so that's when Norm played. Those are the shows that Norm played guitar and 108 for. Uh, and then it was, you know, about a year, not even a year later, you know, probably six six months later or something, you know, Steve Reddy called me up and was like, look, like 108 is going to do a tour. You're going to sing on this tour, dude. You're going to do it. And he connected Vic and I back together. And I was like, look, like, you know, again, like, I'm cool doing this, but like, you just got to understand, like, there's some things with the Krishna thing that I just don't, don't jive with, right? Like, whether it was gender, gender related issues or sexual related issues, or just, you know, this idea that you're going to read this book that's literal, that's supposed to be a literal explanation of history. Like, that's not my thing. Like, there are certain aspects of it that I really like and that I'm attracted to, but there are certain things that I, I just dislike and I have a problem with. And, if the band has to represent those things, I can't do it. And he was like, no, we're on the same page. And this is how I feel about those same things. And I'm like, cool. And then that was it. But so anyway, so funny enough, he was in 108 Norm, but I actually never played with Norm in 108. Ah, I see. See, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up being in Shelter. So we did the whole 108 Shelter tour and I still got to hang out with my best friend, but he was he was playing guitar in Shelter instead of 108. Yeah. So even as early as, I guess we're talking even before Holy Name, you had problems with the faith and didn't want to, you know, you weren't 
100% on board with every aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the best way to put it is, and, and I grew up in a Catholic, you know, my mother was Catholic and, and there was an old saying, you know, with Catholics that the, this idea of like a cafeteria style Catholic, right? That you pick and choose what things you believe in. And that's meant to be kind of like a, you know, like a, an insult, but I'm like, what, what's wrong with that? Like, you know, I mean, and, and I, I think now everybody kind of gets it, like whether it's religion or politics or social movements, like you can be high, be behind something that aligns closely in some degrees to, to different movements or organizations without connecting to all of it. And so just for me, like I always thought that, you know, a woman should have a, a right to decide what she does with her body. I always felt like gender was, you know, it was a real thing, but it didn't define who and what you were and what you were capable of. And, you know, I always felt like if, if two people love each other, like that's all that matters. Um, but aside from that, even that, it was like, you know, again, like I don't, I never read religious texts and was like, oh, 5,000 years ago, this literally happened on this field in India. Like I, I never read it like that. And right. it's funny now, I think with like all the yoga movements and things like that, like that approach to spirituality is pretty common. But back then, especially, you know, with the, with the Krishnas, like that was considered to be like, you know, blasphemous, but that's what I was. And I just, I wasn't, I, I, I am who I am and I believe what I believe. And, you know, uh, I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to support, for example, like if there's someone running for, you know, running for office and they're a Democrat and they, you know, they're what, what the platform they're running on aligns with what I believe in, then I'll vote for them. Doesn't mean I'm a Democrat. Right. Right. Like I, I, I just feel like that with most of my life. Like I don't have to be all in on something. Uh, That's the way, because with uh, politics and religion in this country, it's built oh. just to divide everybody. So this is how it works. Like, let's say someone says they're pro-gun. The way it works in this country, if someone says they're pro-gun, it's automatically, oh, well, they're a right-wing freak and they hate gay people <laughs> and this and that. Or if you're, no, if you're a Democrat, oh, you're a liberal and you say you support people, but you don't and you're this and you're, and you're, and you're that. I think it's important to look past all of those preconceived notions and take people at face value because some people might say they're a Republican, but they might they might not even know what that means and they might not even hold some of those negative characteristics that are commonly associated with that party. Yeah, no, and it's interesting for me, like, and, and this is more of my professional life, but, you know, as my career progressed and, you know, I started working with, you know, private equity groups and, you know, running running companies, you know, when you when you talk to people that are on these boards that are that are part of these these types of, of companies, you know they're typically pretty conservative. What I realized in working with a lot of these people is that yeah they're they're conservative fiscally, but but typically not socially, and they all kind of run the gamut. Like you know, and and to your point, like I am I'm heavy pro Second Amendment, right? I believe guns should be legal and available to people. Uh, I don't necessarily think every gun should be legally there and available to everybody. And right. I believe there should probably be a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more um, nuance to how we we manage, you know, people's access to guns and ammunitions and things like that. But, you know, yep. uh, on the base, like I'm, I'm, I'm pro Second Amendment. Um, at the same time, like I can just as comfortably be a vegan for the animals, um, but believe that, you know, 
if someone is is you know wants to hunt an animal and 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 consume it like i don't do it but i don't you know look at that and go well that means no one should do it right right i know people whose passion is hunting i could now I eat meat, but I still live in the the veil of uh, I'm not going to think about it because I yeah. don't want to be guilty about it, you know. But I'm against hunting. I could never kill an animal myself. But with that in mind, you know, I know people whose passion is hunting, and I don't feel like I should be in a position to tell them you're not allowed to do that. That's their thing. They use the skin. They use the meat. Like it's it's not up to me to decide. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a vegan, I mean, would I rather an animal live its whole life in the natural world, and then you know, unfortunately, at some point, you know, be be the hunted over living in a you know in a factory farm where its entire life and 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 everything about it is completely unnatural to what it is. Like, so I, I think I kind of look at it that way, right? Like, I you know, you can you can be both, um, and I just think that like, look, simplicity is is really really nice and it does make things easy but but this world is not simplistic and so if you know to me like you have to i i don't know i try to focus for me on on people's intent more than than maybe sometimes their execution right what did someone mean to do because you know I mean, again, as someone who sometimes, you know, I, I, you know, I run a company, I have to make decisions that I always try to make with, you know, with, with my, my associates, the people that work for me, you know, kind of a center central to, to what I'm doing, but there's no decision I can make that is going to give everybody what they want. And just about any decision you make, there are, there are winners and there are, there are people who lose in those equations. Right. And so, you know, when you get to a, when you when you have to have a role in whether it's your professional life or your personal life where you have to make those decisions, I think it's it's a much more natural to understand the complexity. And you know, kids, you know, kids don't necessarily have that. You know, when you're a young punk rock kid singing in a band like, you know, you, you don't necessarily have an appreciation for that nuance, which I definitely have now. How did you get involved with the Krishna faith initially? You know, it was, it was, it goes back to, you know, I was, I was sexually abused, um, you know, as a kid and, and you just, and, you know, my mother, you know, like I said, she would, she had all these, you know, she was like, she loved me so much, but she would sometimes like freak out and I would, I would take the brunt of that. And as a kid, like you can't understand that, right? This is the person who loves me and I love more than anybody else in the world, but this is happening. Right, these other things are happening, and so what attracted me first was you know Eastern religion and the idea, the concept of karma, right? Because at least it gives this idea that like oh well you know you live life after life and the things that you do in one life to the next you know has a uh, has an impact on the things that that happen to you both good and bad in the future, and so I think just having the idea of karma just gave me like a lifeline in a sense, if that makes sense. Like it gave me some explanation at a time where I, I needed something to explain to me like why this happened. And, you know, yeah, I, I think that that was really it. It was like, I needed it. That makes sense. That makes sense. When, um, so you actually lived in temples, you were, you were in it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I moved into the temple as soon as I graduated high school. So in, in 1990, uh, and I lived there for probably about seven months. Um, and I think maybe the last three months shelter happened to live there also. Um, 
but aside from Vic, I didn't really interact with them all that much, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I lived in a temple during that period. Did you have an, some kind of personal issue with them or you just didn't jive with them? Yeah, like we're just different personalities. Like we, Ray and I ended up having some some issues, which I won't get into because whatever, it, it's, it's all over at this point. But at that point, no, it wasn't really that. It just like, look, I was a weird fucking kid. And yeah. I think especially for, for Ray, like he was used to, if you were a straight edge kid, like you see you worshiping him. And like, and I just wasn't really like that. Um, so I think that made it kind of weird, but also like, again, like I wasn't, I was living in a temple and trying to experience what it meant to live there, but I wasn't like, quote unquote, surrendering, right. My ego, like I wasn't like, I still, like, I, like we talked about, like there were things that I was like, no, I don't believe that. And like, you don't live in temples and say that. So I think they always just, you know, I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think they always thought I was just this weird, weird dude, weird kid. They didn't get me. Where I think Vic, for whatever reason, like I think he liked that I wasn't like enamored by by Ray, like in that, you know, I, I had opinions on things. And, you know, he 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 was also, you know, he was a writer and, you know, he was writing, he wrote this whole position paper uh, around kind of gender in 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 Vaishnavism. And I remember when I read it, I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, cool. Like I can, I can dig this guy. Like I'm, I'm into it. Um, and so, you know, that's, I don't know. I think that was kind of the, the beginning of our friendship, I think was, you know, cause him and him and Ray didn't get along great. Uh, and I think he just liked that. I was kind of my own person. Right. Yeah, that I understand that. A lot of time in group dynamics, if you don't get on board with every aspect of the group, the thinking and everything else, you can be an outsider. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, look, to be fair, like, that's why I didn't live in temples after that. Because I'm like, yeah, you know what, like it is, it's a monastery, right? And 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 I, I can, I can go and I can appreciate the things that, that, that align with and I can live outside and, and discard the things that I don't. And so, you know, aside from, you know, maybe staying in a temple here and there over the years, like I never, I never lived in a temple again. I never, I never, you know, went, went that far. Cause I, I just knew like there were things that I, I really liked and appreciated and, and wanted and needed in my life and really needed in my life. And there were certain things that I just didn't care about. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had to sacrifice one to get the other. Did you still practice the faith throughout 108? I mean, I'm talking during Songs of Separation and into Threefold Misery. Were you still into it? Were you still practicing it just on your own terms? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean, I still, to a degree, practice it, quote unquote, in, in my own terms. Like, okay. if I, if I want to pick up my beads and chant Japa, I, I do. Sometimes, you know, each day, like, I'll, I'll take a few minutes, maybe read something or, or just meditate and it does, you know, it, it, you know, those, that's kind of the, the emphasis of my meditation, if you will. But, you know, outside of that, not really. Like I like the, I like to listen to Kirtan or Bajans at times. Uh, that's the, the music because I feel like it just, it helps kind of give me a, a center. And sometimes meditation is a, is a real positive thing for me. Um, but I, I've, like I said, I, I've kind of always stayed like that. The, the parts of it that I, that I liked and resonated with me, you know, as a, as a, as a 15 year old, and then as a 20 year old are, are kind of the same things that resonate to me now as a 51 year old. Did you ever get gate kept by anyone in 108 or anyone in the Krishna community because you were doing things 
on your own term? Like they would say, hey, why aren't you doing this? Or you oh, should yeah. be doing that? Not, not, not in 108, but outside of that, absolutely. I mean, shit, on that first 108 tour, shelter tour, we were on tour for like five and a half months. And I remember there were a few times where like Vic and I, and it, it was out of spite sometimes. Like I remember the first time I went vegan, it was out of spite because like I just got so tired of hearing shelter kind of talk bad about the vegans, right? Like I just thought it was so stupid. So Vic and I were like, all right, fuck it. We're going to be vegan. <laughs> I remember at one point they got this like swami to sit down with us and, you know, try to try to mediate like what we were doing. And it's like, dude, we're going to do what we want to do. Um, so I think there were sometimes external things, but for the most part, no, not really. Cause I think even, even with that being said, like, I think the hierarchy within that movement still were like, look, like, I don't think they liked what I was doing per se, but I think they liked the fruits of what I was doing, which was, you know, they, they, they did have kids that would show up to a temple or buy a book that would never have otherwise. So I think they kind of put up with it. Um, but I think also, you know, just but but in the band, no, it was never a big deal because Vic was always like that. Also, he just kind of did his own thing. Um, we all did. So. Right. Right. So how was it? Uh, talk about Threefold Misery. This is an all time classic record. I love it. I, I think the production is great. I think everything about it is great. I mean, how old were you when you guys recorded that record? Uh, that was recorded in 1995. So I would have been 23. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Like after, so, so, you know, Songs of Separation, a lot of that was written before we did the Shelter 108 tour. And it kind of got fine-tuned on that tour. We played a lot of it and then we, we kind of rearranged some stuff and then we recorded it. It was this Vic, Chris Daly and I recorded it when we got back from the tour. Uh, Kaylee did some vocals on it, but but Vic played all the guitar and bass. Daly played drums, and I sang. Then for the few years in between Songs of Separation and Threefold, uh, you know, Vic had come with you know basically like demos of a record, and it just it didn't resonate with me at all musically, lyrically, nothing. And so we ended up tra- like not not doing it. And around that time, Trivacrom came into the band. And Trivacrom is interesting because, you know, also like, you know, came from the punk scene, but was not never like a straight edge kid, not involved in any of that. Like, I think his band, you know, the band, a band that he did was like, you know, him and the guys from Helmet before they were called Helmet. And he came into the band and he was a lot like me. So you had Vic who like loved and worshipped everything around the Bad Brains. Like that was like his jam. For me, it was like Black Flag, Corrosion of Conformity, like these dirtier bands. And that was a little bit more Trivacrom style. So as Vic continued to write songs, like then we would go and kind of rearrange things or move things around. Or he started to write things that were a little bit more closer to like how we would, what we would typically write. Um, but I remember we, we went in to record the record um, before we did uh, the summer tour. We did a summer tour in 1995. I think it was 95. Yeah. With uh, Bloodlet and Coalesce. And we went into the, uh, the studio to record the, the threefold misery record before that. And we only ended up getting maybe four songs recorded. And we just we weren't happy with the drummer. And we felt like we needed to tweak things a little bit more. So we, we ended up trashing that session. Did the tour with uh, Bloodlet, Coalesce, then um, went to Europe, did the tour with Abhinanda. And after that, Vic decided to go to India. 
And he basically told us like, look, I don't think I want to do the band anymore. Like, let's just record one more record and, and that's it. So we're like, all right, cool. So that's, that's kind of what we did. And he got back from India and we went, we went into the studio and re- or record, or sorry, right before we went to India, we went, just went into the studio. We got, um, God, what's his name now? I'm forgetting. Matt Cross, who played drums in Orange 9 Millimeter. We, uh, I, I, I hooked up with him, um, played him the songs. He was down. So we, we drove up to Boston and, Within, you know, we, we had three days to record the record before Vic had to leave for India and Brian McTurnan, who was recording the record, he was leaving to go on tour with Battery in Europe. And so we, we got up there and we recorded the drums like almost all in like one or two takes. Wow. And so it was funny, like we were, we were going to, I was going to drive Matt back down to New York and, you know, we'd start recording the bass and the, the vocals and guitars. And we were just like, well, this could be our last time being a band. So you know, why don't we record like a cover? Like we can each pick a song that we love and we'll record it. And so Vic chose a Bad Brain song. Uh, I chose The Bars by Black Flag. And Triv chose uh, When Death Comes Ripping by The Misfits, partly because he loved The Misfits. And second, we had just been asked to be on like some Misfits comp, which I said no to because I hated The Misfits, even though I'm from New Jersey. But again, we went in the spirit of whoever wants it, we want to do a song, whatever, whatever the person wants to do, we do it. And so we ended up doing those three songs. And then I think we were getting ready to record one of those songs and, and Triv played this like riff. And we're all like, what is that? And he's like, I don't know, it's something, something I played with. And so we ended up recording a jam of that riff. And I wrote vocals to it, and that was Curse of Instinct. Like it wasn't a, a pre written song, uh, it just happened to be this riff that he played. And we're like, let's just play around with it like we didn't even have a structure they just played we recorded it and then i wrote vocals and recorded vocals over it. wow uh, and yeah we did that all and you know recorded mixed in, in under three days and that was it so mcturnan recorded threefold misery too he did he did threefold misery and uh the curse of instinct lp because that was all that was all done same exact time um so yeah no that was with that was with brian uh in his studio up in boston Amazing. Yeah, it's just funny because like the last three people I spoke to on the show, I think recorded with Brian too. So he's come up a lot lately. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's funny. Like I remember when we did the Judas Factor record, he was like, hey, let me do it. I'll do it for really cheap because he's like, look, like 108 in Texas is what like gave me like my, you know, that's what led all the bands to come to me. So let, let me record the record. And so we did because, you know, he's just a great guy great engineer, turned out to be a great producer, uh, and just a, a cool ass dude. So yeah, we, we did it with Brian. Awesome. Awesome. So you decided after that record, that was going to be it for the band. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to put the record out, go on tour, and that would probably be it for all of us. Um, which, you know, ended up not being the case, but you know, at the time, like I was, you know, my wife wanted to have a kid and, you know, we, we had actually had, um, she had gotten pregnant. And when I was on that tour, I had to come home for a few weeks because she ended up having a miscarriage. Um, and so that was rough, but it was like, all right, well, I'm going to have a kid and I got, I got to, I got to figure out a job. Like I had, I barely got out of high school. Like what the hell am I going to do? Um, right. so it was kind of just like, all right, I guess I got to grow up and figure this shit out. And so, yeah, the idea was like, we were to record that and that would be it. How was the reception towards 108 at the end? How were the shows? I mean, could you make a living off of it at all? Like what was your life like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I we did well enough. I mean, I, I don't remember f- quite honestly how, how we did it, but no, like uh, between tours, I would get odd jobs here and there, you know, working at a, at a, at a, you know, at a, 
at a smoothie shop, like our, I think it was a place called, it was me and Gus Straight Edge and a few friends uh, called Blanche's Organic. We did that. Um, but for the most part, like we'd come home with money and, you know, we, we like, we all live pretty frugally. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but no, like I, I definitely needed to get, have a job. Like I, you know, like when 108 was touring and touring and touring, then yeah, I was, I was fine between tours, but you know, at that point it was like, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta figure out some type of career and job. What did you do? Uh, I went to Kinko's. So, um, this girl, Lana, that I knew, and then and, and Guav, his name is Justin, but everybody called him Guav. He, you know, if you read uh, all the old Earth Crisis records, he's on the thank you list. Uh, but uh, they they both worked at a Kinko's. And um, and yeah, like I, I remember talking to them somehow. I don't even remember how. And they're like, they're like, yeah, like we'll, we'll hook you up. And they ended up knowing a, a, one of the managers. And I went and interviewed with him and he hired me. And next thing I know, 15 years later, I was still there. Excellent. Well, you have a new band, which is yes. exciting. Unsufferable. Yes. And uh, the, se- the seven inches out now, and it's selling fast. But how did this band come together? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, over the years, um, you know, for whatever reason, like people will hit me up and be like, hey, I have these songs. and I'd love for you to sing on them. And I'm always like eager to listen to them. And I, I get sent some of the like really incredible stuff. Uh, but most of the time... I end up not doing it. And it's because kind of going back to what I said earlier, like I'm not, I'm not an artist, like I'm not a writer, right? Like when, when shit's going good in my life, like you're not going to hear much from me, right? Because for me, music is very much like a way to kind of deal with, with things. And so anyway, David had, you know, Dave was, I, I, I want to say he posted like a, a, you know, him and I became friends on, you know, social media and I want to say it started with him posting like a 20 second soundbite of something that he was working on. And I sent him a note. I was like, Hey, that sounds dope. And he's like, you want to do it? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like you can send it to me, but like, I mean, cause my whole thing is like, look, like my voice is not like, I don't have a dynamic voice, right? Like I, I am what I am. And I, I, you know, I guess I'm pretty good at what I do, but like, I don't, you know, I can't go and do anything. And so like when people send me stuff, if I listen to it, if I feel like I can't do anything that's going to make it better than what it is, I, I won't bother with it. And even if I feel like I can, I typically don't end up doing it because I'm not, there's nothing happening around me where I'm inspired to write something. Um, but around this time is when, you know, all of a sudden Roe versus Wade was reversed and I, I had some things on my, on my mind. And he sent me, uh, he sent me, I think, four or five songs, and uh, these were the two that I was like, "All right, like this is this is cool." And I ended up finding uh, through, I think it was Nate from Converge. You know, he had a guy that that does sound for uh, for Converge on the road, and he uh, he lives here in Arizona, has a small studio. He let me know, and I, I I ended up hooking up with him and went and recorded vocals for for the songs. And yeah, really really excited about it. I think it's a it's a cool project. I think it's it's different than my other bands. It doesn't sound like them, but I think it it sounds right with my my vocals and, and what I do. So uh, we're really excited about it. the two songs. I think came out awesome. Uh, you know, really excited to hook up with you know iodine and, and get it out there and you know start working on our, our LP. How did you hook up with iodine? Um, so originally we were going to do the record. Um, with with another label and just the the person and I won't get into it, but you know they were just going through some things in their personal life and it just wasn't necessarily viable to 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 continue to do the record with them. 
And so, you know, the three of us were like, well, you know, wh- what, what are some labels we'd like? And, you know, I, of course, was like, well, you know, I, I have Equal Vision and Death Wish, but like I always do my stuff with those guys. So like I'll, I'll send it to Equal Vision, but I, I don't know if they're going to be down to do it. And one of the other guys was like, oh, we should, you know, check out Iodine. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I only knew them really. I, I knew some of the bands when I looked at their roster, but at the time it was like, oh, they're putting out the quicksand reissue. Like, okay, well, you know, that, that, that definitely is, is pretty credible. Uh, cause you know, oh, yeah. that's a great record, great band. Like they know what they're doing. And like I said, I knew some of the bands on the roster. So we shot them a note and Casey and I got on the phone and talked for a little while and, you know, just, it seemed to, to make sense. So we, we decided to work with them and really excited. They, they've done a great job. Yeah. I heard one of the songs, there was a song out on Bandcamp at one point or something, and it, I, it sounds really awesome. So I'm excited to hear the rest of it. What's the plan? Are we going to play some gigs? Is there going to, you said there's going to be an LP at some point? Yeah. So we've already, you know, we already have um, a demo uh, of, of music. So, you know, like everything with me, like there'll be a lot of going back and forth on it, but you know, we, we're, we're basically working on the the basics of 10 songs right now. Um, you know, just with, with, you know, the 108 shows I just did and the nature of my work, I just said, everybody like, look, I need to take a a few months to like focus on, on some other things. And then, you know, I'll kind of, kind of start nibbling away at writing the record, but yeah, like we have an LP we're going to work on, uh, and I'm excited about that. In terms of shows, you know, you never know. I mean, we all live in different parts of the world. You know, Dave is in, in Montreal. Uh, Ryan is in like North Carolina. Um, so, you know, I'm in Arizona and there's no drummer at this point. Um, you know, we have people that we'll, we'll record some stuff with here and there. But so I think we'll we'll kind of figure that out. So I, I do think, you know, eventually we'll, we'll play some shows. But, you know, at this point, it's like, look, like we, we've got songs. We all have these, you know, Dave's in school full time. Ryan's a teacher full time. You know, I'm the CEO of a company. So like I, my time's kind of taken up. And so, you know, I think when it makes sense to do things, we'll, we'll do it. You're the CEO of a company. Yeah, yeah, I am. That's pretty exciting. So do you just get to go to golf and stuff while everybody else works? And <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I basically run, um, I'm a CEO for a company that owns and operates uh, European Wax Center franchises. Uh, so hair removal services. And before I did this, I did the same thing in Massage Envy. I, I owned and operated uh, 95 Massage Envy locations. Uh, and so, um, but no, there's, I, I do not play golf. Uh, and you know, these are all, you know, kind of smaller, smaller companies. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very involved in all the, the, the day to day of what we do. That's amazing. That's a, that's a great trajectory from singer of resurrection <laughs> and 108 to CEO that that could be a good book. It certainly doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but like, you know, it was interesting. Like when I went to work for Kinko's, you know, I had to do well because I didn't, I didn't have anything else to fall back on. Like I barely got out of high school. I had no discernible skills, but you know, with, with 108 and Resurrection, like I booked most of the tours or, or managed most of the, the stuff we did. And so you just, you, you have a work ethic when you're an independent band that's touring as much as I did. Like you, you, you might not have a lot of talent, but man, you, you probably got to have a pretty damn good work ethic. And so when, when I started working at Kinko's, you know, I just, you know, like I, I threw myself into it. Like I really tried to, to learn the business and be good at it. And, you know, within a year and a half, like I went from a, you know, I was a part-time cashier and all of a sudden I'm a system manager and, you know, they start offering me manager jobs everywhere. And, 
you know, I ended up taking one out in California and, you know, my career kind of took off from there. But I think the biggest, it's funny, punk rock is like central to, to why I've been successful. And it's because like, it's that idea of you've got to balance, you know, the, you have to balance following the road that others have traveled and, and taking advantage of, of some of the things that they've did to, 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 you know, not to have to reinvent the wheel on everything. But, but at times when you, when you see something that you don't like, or you see something that maybe you don't believe in, or you feel it like can be done better, it's being brave enough to go out and, and give it a try and not be afraid to, to fail. Um, and I think that that's worked really well for me, right? Like I, you know, I am never the smartest person in the room. Uh, I never have the most impressive resume in the room, but I have a pretty damn good work ethic and, you know, I'm very much principle driven. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's done well for me in my career. Now I can relate to that. You know, when, when you only have yourself to rely on, uh, you make things work because you don't have a choice. Yeah. Like I, I I mean, and and it's funny, it, I, it's still a blessing and a bit of a curse for me today in that like I take every decision insanely seriously. And I want to make sure it's the right one for my employees, for my customers, and for my shareholders, and in that order. And it can be really hard to run a business like that. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, 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 you know, it can eat you up a little bit. But, you know, overall, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have figured out, you know, a way to support my family and I, and, and luckily I've, I've done really well with it. And it's because just like in the music world, I surround myself with people who are smarter than me, more talented than me, you know, <laughs> or think differently than me. Uh, because I think it, it, it allows you to, to be open to possibilities, to push one another and to, to, you know, not be afraid. Um, and you know, that that's how all my bands have worked and that's how I, I run my businesses. So 108 reunited after 10 years at the faded 2006 Hellfest that never happened. How did that happen? When were you contacted? What were those initial conversations with the guys like? Yeah, I mean, we were contacted a few months before and, and it's funny at that time, I was very anti-reunion, like everybody was doing it. And I was like, look, I'll play a show but it all has to be like all the money has to go to like something we all believe in. Like, I don't want money for this. And like, but I'm into doing a show. And again, going back to like how emotionally and psychologically troubled I was as a kid going back, like when we got together to rehearse for the, that show, I realized how much I, how important those songs were to me and how important those two people were to me. And we played, you know, the show ended up, you know, not happening. And we ended up booking two last minute shows because of it, one with Lifetime and one with, I don't remember who else it was, but a, a bunch of us played at the church in Philly. And we, we really enjoyed it. And so afterwards, you know, it was like, well, should we, should we do anything more? And I was like, look, the only way I'll do it is if we write new records and we write new songs. Like, I don't want this just to be like a karaoke to the past. I think it, it has to have some representation as to who we are today. Like what, what is 108 2.0, right? What, what did we become 10 years later after, after that initial thing? And so, you know, we all were into it and you know, that's, that's what we did. Um, and so it, was, it ended up being a really like cool experience for me. Cause I, I love Vic. I mean, he's like an amazing 
person, amazing musician. Trivikram is like unreal. And, you know, like I said, I, I get to, you know, when, when time, time is available, get to go and play songs that are meaningful to, to me, with people who are meaningful to me, uh, and, and play to people who find the, the songs meaningful. And, you know, it's hard to shit on that. So I, I enjoy doing it when it makes sense. What was the turning point for you in your life, you know, with everything you dealt with when you were younger and figuring it out as an adult? Like, how do you work through all that? Like myself, it was uh, years and years of addiction and then all different kinds of therapy and then a lot of deep, deep self-discovery and finally opening up and working with others? Like, what was it for you? I, I, I mean, a lot of the same things. I mean, I tried therapy quite a bit. Uh, it just never really, I never really got it. Like, it, it never really worked for me. Um, you know, I think a lot of it was just like the songs got me through it. Like, like the progression in writing and just realizing like, look, these things are never going to go away. I'm, it's always going to be a part of my psyche and the things that I deal with. And that's okay. Like, it's as much negativity as there is with it there's also like these amazing things right like i never probably would have gotten into punk rock gotten into music did, you know been to 30 plus countries played with the amazing incredible people i have you know have my kid like all those things like when you look back at your past no matter how damaging it is and how regrettable a lot of it can be if there's anything positive in your life that also is to some extent a fruition of the past and so I think it was a lot of that. It was just kind of going like, look, like I'm always going to struggle with some of these things and that's, that's okay. Like, but I, I do have this incredible life and I have these incredible children and this woman that I, I love and these friends that like, I just, I care so much about. And I think, you know, I think those are the things, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still dealing with all of it to a degree, but my life has gotten better with every single year. And I think a lot of it is, you know, again, you, you're not going to erase it. It's not going to go away. You got to deal with some of the stuff head on and, and be grateful for the, the amazing things that you do have. And, I, and I've got a lot of amazing things in my life. Right. The, a, a lot of things are a day-to-day -day struggle. I used to think I was going to reach this point where I would just be okay and not have to worry about it anymore. But no, like the same things creep up every day and I have to deal with them every day. That's just the way it goes. No, absolutely. And, and that's the way it's always going to go. And, and again, that's, that's okay. Hopefully the, the good days outnumber the bad days. The good things in, in each day outnumber the bad things in each day. And you know, sometimes they don't. Usually they do. And again, like that's where I, I really use music. I mean, going back to like tonight, like I'm going to see, you know, um, explosions in the sky. And like I was not planning on going. It's a Monday night. The show starts at, like 830 and I'm going to sound like a 62 year old, not 52. But I'm like, that's too late for me to go to a show and stand around. <laughs> but I've had, you know, the last few months have been pretty, pretty hard on me. Uh, mostly like professionally, but just dealing with a lot of stuff and just you know, kind of feeling down and a little bit negative. And, you know, the other day, like we, we, I, I was, we had some friends over and I was like, Oh yeah, this band's playing. I, I want to go, but I don't think I'm going to do it. And I played it and they were like, what are you doing? You got to go. And I was like, you know what I do like things feel rough now. And, and music is an outlet for me. And, and what I love about that band and, and a lot of band like Russian circles, same thing, right. They don't sound anything like sonically, but there's these instrumental bands. Yeah. And I feel like they both, there's so much emotion in the in the chords and in the, the the sounds and in the in the songs they write, and because there's no lyrics, 
you can make them about whatever it is you want to. Like there's this actually kind of incredible thing to me about that. And so I'm like, you know what? Like, this is the type of thing I need to do. Like, this is the type of experience and moments that will help, you know, give me a, a little bit of relief and a little bit of perspective. And I'm excited as hell. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, you're going to be very happy that you went to the show because I'm 42 now as of uh, Sunday. Okay. And happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I was indoors a lot because of the pandemic. I just became somewhat of a hermit and I stopped going to a lot of shows. Now I'm going to every show and I'm always like, ah, I don't want to go. It's late. I want to be home. But when I actually go to the show and hang out with people and see the bands, I'm I'm always so happy. And I know that's going to happen for you too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was two weeks ago we went and saw uh, Ride. Ride was here. They play with Charlton's. Charlton's not really my thing. Uh, and of course, Charlton's open. So I'm like, all right, now it's going to be even later night. But but no, like I was just like, all right, like this was this is worth it. But but tonight, like I feel like this band, like Explosions, like I just I've always really enjoyed them. Um, and I feel like sonically they are they are the medicine that I need right now. So I'm I'm incredibly excited. And my wife really likes them too. And, you know. That makes it even better. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's amazing. So let's recap. Unsufferable, the seven inches out there now for pre-order. It might be sold out by the time you guys hear this, but uh, you'll be able to listen to it. And who knows, maybe there will be a second pressing. We can expect an LP and perhaps some shows maybe in the future. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, go check it out. Like it's on iTunes and I think all the different uh, the show sharing services at this point. Um and yeah, look, again, I think if you if you like stuff I've done before, I think, you know, this will be up your alley. It, it doesn't sound like 108, doesn't sound like Resurrection, but you know, I think it I I just think it's a really really cool record and you know, I'm I'm again lucky to to play with these these two other guys who are just like great musicians and great people and I don't know what they they see with me in it, but you know, I I'm I'm excited that I get the opportunity to do it and I'm looking forward to working on the LP and, you know, having people, you know, get to experience these these songs for what they are. The Judas Factor uh, reunion does not sound likely because the, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of emotional weight to these songs, yes? Yeah, correct. Like, I, like Ballads in Blue China will always be one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, and there are times like where I'll have my, my, I, my, my, my phone on shuffle and one of those songs will come on. It's pretty rare because I have a pretty big catalog on there of stuff, but once in a while it will. And I'm always just like, in one hand, just like, wow, this is like powerful for me. But on the other hand, like, oh my God, if I had to play this now, I don't know that I could hold it together. Like, I don't know how I'd function. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there'll ever be a, a Judas Factory reunion, but I, I do love that, that record. That LP is classic. So everybody, if you haven't heard it, do it today. And uh, 108, our last LP was 18.61. That came out in 2010. Uh, what do we have planned for the future, if anything? You know, 108 is is definitely like a living, breathing thing in the sense that like, I, who knows? Like we, I think the one thing we realized, you know, right away was like, we're not going to worry about planning shit. Like we're not, we're, we've never been that type of band. Like we don't ever have like a, a plan, right? It's like, look, if, if songs come together and we love them, let's put them out. If, uh, if, if there's an opportunity to do some shows and everybody's schedules make sense. I mean, it's hard. Vic lives in Japan. Right. Like Vic lives in Japan. Kate lives in Albany. Trevor Crom lives down in Gainesville, Florida. I live in Arizona. Like we've got one drummer, Mike Justin, who lives up in Boston, but he's always on tour with Unearthed or, or Madball. 
uh, or we have Mike Paradise that plays with us and he lives in Spokane, Washington. So like we live nowhere near each other just to get together is like this incredibly expensive and time consuming thing. Uh, but when it, when it makes sense, we're like, cool, let's, let's do it. Let's do a few shows. Like it's, it's a lot of times more an excuse for us just to hang out than anything else. Like sit around, cook food, joke around and, and play the songs. So we'll see. We, you, you never know with us. We just, we, we never know. We don't, we don't put any plans in place. What about Resurrection? Did that band ever reunite over the years? You know, we just did a, we did one set at This Is Hardcore uh, because we had the, this, the, the discography come out and that, that was really it. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, Resurrection was, a, it was a, also like an important band for me. Again, it was the first band that I ever wrote all the lyrics for. Uh, and it definitely was, was important to me. Uh, I wish, again, sort of, sort of like 108, like we didn't plan shit. Like we recorded our LP, we recorded it for under $200. Oh, wow. Like we didn't think like, oh, we're going to want to listen to this one day. <laughs> like the sounds have to be good. Like we, we just, we didn't think like that. We're just like, all right, like we, we, we I think New Age gave us like 1200 bucks. And we were going to do a, a bunch of shows with Shelter. And so we used a thousand of it to buy a van. And we thought like, okay, the money we make off the tour, we can put back into paying back that thousand dollars. And the van engine blew up like in the first 10 hours of the, the tour. Oh. So we ended up having to do like the back of a U-Haul. And then we, we rented a van with someone as a driver, but we came back with no money. So we had 200 bucks uh, and we had to buy the reels. And we had to record the record and, and we had to buy lunch that day because we didn't have money for lunch. And so uh, that was that record. Boy, uh, economics were a lot better back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was a trip. But years later, I think, I think we all regretted. Like we, we felt like the songs on that record were really good. Just the recording was really bad. And so, you know, Death Wish was like, hey, we'd like to reissue this. And so we're like, all right, like let's, let's have, you know, Kurt remix it and it sounds worlds, worlds, worlds better, but I mean, it's still like we, we did it all in a day. That surprises me. I, I listened to it today again and I wouldn't have guessed it was one day. Cause you know, when you listen to some of those records from that era, you're like, okay, it's good, but I can barely listen to it. You know, the, the resurrection record is listenable. Yeah. And that's because Kurt remixed it <laughs> because the, the original <laughs> one wasn't, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I mean, look, I think if I could ever go back and just redo some of those records and like realize like this shit's going to stay with you forever. Yeah. Um, I probably would have done things a little differently, but whatever. It is what it is. It was like a such a different moment in our lives. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, as a kid, like I never expected to reach the age of 25. What to speak of 50, 51 and listening to these things again. So whatever. It is what it is. And you know, people still seem to enjoy it all for some reason every year i still get you know an offer to put out like a release discography which i i, sh I shoot down every time offered um <laughs> you think you'll ever do it <laughs> you know i just that that period is especially painful for me so yeah maybe at some point i'd be like whatever but those songs are just so bad that i'm like it's one thing for <laughs> me to be like the periods you know that period is really rough but I, I appreciate the songs like i i i don't like the songs either so it makes it makes it much harder right right well rob uh, i just want to thank you so much for coming on the show i mean i've been listening to you since i got into this music and you've done so much great stuff over the years and are still doing great stuff so 
thank you so much for coming on the show. No, I, I, I really appreciate it. I mean, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you've enjoyed some of the stuff I've done over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm just, I was really happy to get the invite to do, uh, to do your podcast and, uh, Hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and the listeners enjoy it. And you know, check out the check out the insufferable EP. I think it's a it's a pretty cool record, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing the LP. And there you have it, Rob Fish. Excellent. Excellent conversation. Very compelling person to talk to. If you've ever seen one of his bands live and heard him talk in between songs, he's always been a very compelling speaker and has always been pretty on point with the things he says. And it was just great to hear about everything he's done. 108, one of my favorite bands since I got into hardcore. Songs of Separation is one of my favorite hardcore records of all time. And Threefold Misery, certainly one of my favorite hardcore records of all time. So, you know, like I was telling Rob, when I got into the music, 108 was gone. The Judas Factor was around, and I discovered them, and I would see them pretty often at that time. And then when I heard 108 was reuniting, that was really exciting news. And I've gotten to see them a couple times over the years. They played a Songs of Separation full album show back in fall of 2019. And that was amazing. That's one of the best shows I've ever been to. And his new band Unsufferable is great too. Looking forward to hearing more from them. Awesome, awesome stuff. Very happy to have Rob on the show. So thank you again, Rob, for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing? I've had a busy weekend of gigs. Friday night, I went to two different shows. I saw Shiloh and The World is a Beautiful Place, and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. They opened for the ocean. And that was my first time seeing Shiloh. Great stuff. Check them out if you have the opportunity to see them. It's uh, post-metal slash post-rock, which is right up my alley. And I got to catch up with Greg, their guitar player, who's been on the show. Greg co-hosted episode 171 of this podcast with me. So if you want to hear more about the band directly from Greg, check it out. So awesome to see Shiloh. Awesome to see The World Is as well. You know, the new songs sounded fantastic live. And uh, I really wanted to stick around for the ocean, which I think I could have in retrospect. But I wasn't sure because I wanted to get across town to catch the Code 7 gig at St. Vitus. And that was a great show. Opening that show was, I'm hope, I hope I'm saying this right, Bean. The band is B-E-I-N-N, and I know the drummer of Her Heads on Fire is in that band. It's like a heavier Nirvana. They were awesome. Stay Inside was direct support, and I recently discovered them. It's like a post-hardcore with a tinge of emo with a tinge of pop punk, and they were really awesome. Uh, I'm there. Chris from Stay Inside is actually going to be on an upcoming episode of the show for the Artist Spotlight. They've got a new record coming out soon, so check out Stay Inside. And of course, Code 7. Now, I haven't seen Code 7 probably since 2003, 
I missed them when I was at Furnace Fest the first year. I don't know. There must have been some conflict with another band I wanted to see, but fantastic live. Got to hear all the songs I really wanted to hear, and just an overall great performance. So, busy night Friday. Saturday, I had the day completely to myself, and that doesn't happen often, but it was great. So, I took the entire day to play Elden Ring, which I haven't played for months in any kind of real way. And I was afraid I was just going to fall off and not finish it because it, it's such a massive game and there's so much to do. But uh, I'm going to keep it simple and do the required stuff and then do whatever extra stuff I feel like and then just finish it up. But I'm making great progress. I don't think I'm going to be a Souls game guy. You know, I don't think I'm going to play all of them or I might not even play more of them. I don't know if I prefer these giant open world games where there's just endless stuff to do and, you know, there's not really any direction. I think I prefer something like Red Dead 2 where it's a giant open world, but there's a pretty clear path of what you're going to do and they make it easy to like stumble upon the extra things. So I don't know. I'm figuring it out. Elden Ring can be really frustrating because it's so incredibly difficult and I'll get killed 1,500 times in a row trying to kill a boss, but then when you finally beat the boss, it's so satisfying. And I made good progress yesterday, so I will continue playing that game. And uh, I'll be back in the studio pretty soon to finish up recording our EP, so I've got that coming up, but uh, it was good to enjoy some downtime while it lasted. And it's Super Bowl Sunday. Now, I will not be watching the Super Bowl. I don't even know who's in the Super Bowl. I would have to look it up right now if I wanted to know that information. But I think Kansas City, is it Kansas City and somebody else? Because I keep hearing people talk about Taylor Swift, and I know Travis Kelsey is on Kansas City. So I guess they're in and somebody else. But tonight, Jerome's Dream is playing St. Vitus. And that is the equivalent of the Super Bowl for me. So I'm excited to go to that show. And I'll have a recap of that show for you next week. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be in the mood to put together an entire podcast when I come home from that show late Sunday. So it's going to have to wait till next week. But we'll have something to look forward to then. But for now, let's check in with the new scene, Community Hour. I've got some new reviews here. Now, we are currently at 188 Apple Podcast reviews. We are so close to 200. We just need 12 more. So if you have so if you have not submitted an Apple Podcast review, open up your iPhone, find the podcast app, search the new scene, scroll down a bit and hit that five-star button. If you write a review, I will read it during this section of the show. Thank you so much to everybody who has submitted a review. We're getting very close to 200. Let's get to 200. I'll give it a rest for a while, and then we'll be on the push to 300. So here's the new reviews. First one is from Stout BR. Exactly the show I was looking for. Five stars. Just discovered the show a couple weeks ago, and I am hooked. I couldn't have hatched a better concept for a show on punk and hardcore. Respect on the past, but not stuck there. I am enjoying the mix of guests, which is helping me discover lots of great newer bands. 
I also love that there's an emphasis on mental health. That's part of what lured me back to the scene. Artists giving voice to those issues. The Pat Flynn interview was truly moving. Great place to start. This is another golden era of hardcore and punk, and for people like me who love the scene and appreciate the progressive energy coming from it these days, shows like this deepen that love. It is perfect for old heads and new heads. Thank you, Stout, for that review. Yes, uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, I I love uh, the classic bands and the bands I grew up with, for sure, but I do not want to be stuck solely there because there's there's a lot of new music happening there's a lot of great new music happening you know bands that i get hooked on and i always want to be focused on who's coming up as well and uh yeah mental health has always been an important part of this show because it's an important part of my life you know you haven't heard me talk about recovery too much but I'm certainly still very involved in it. I love when mental health discussions come up with guests, which they do fairly often. You know, we had another good one with Rob in this episode, and I was really more heavy in recovery talk in 2022 because, you know, I was getting out of the COVID bubble. I was getting back to more in-person meetings and getting involved again, so I was rejuvenated. And then in 2023, I was mostly focused on work still going to recovery, the meetings and everything and being involved, but I don't know, just not as uh, passionate about it. But this year I'm passionate about it because uh, I have some new commitments. Uh, I helped open up a new meeting with some friends. I still have sponsees. I still have a sponsor. I'm still working on myself. I'm still doing all the work and I feel a lot more passionate about it because this is just one of those years where I'm a lot more involved. so it's been good. And again, thank you, Stout, for the for the nice review. We've got another new review from 80s Dave. Killer pod, y'all. Five stars. This guy talks to people, and that's good. Thank you, Dave. I'm glad you think it's good, because if you thought it was bad, you know, that'd be bad. Final review from John Frias. Five stars. Solid gold. Thank you for having the legend Aaron Turner on. Can't wait to listen to more future episodes. Cheers. Thank you, John, and thank you for listening. Yeah, tons of great feedback on the Aaron Turner episode. Very happy that we got that one. A lot of people said a lot of nice things. It's rocketing up to one of our most listened to episodes very quickly, and Aaron was super nice. I just don't think it could have gone better. Oh, also, I'm seeing Sumac next Saturday at St. Vitus. There's still tickets available for that show. So if you live around here, go. Very excited for that show. I also heard from August from the band Intent Accident. August has binged the entire show and listened to every episode. So August, cheers to you for doing that. I love when people do that. I know Simon Downbeat Vinyl did the same thing, and I'm sure there's others out there who have done the same. But I just love it. I just love it because that's kind of what got me into podcasting. I found a show that I liked. I was on a very long business trip in California. It was taken up the whole month, Northern California, Southern California. And I found this podcast that I really liked and I binged the whole thing. Come back to the hotel room, sit there, listen to episodes, eat food, drive, 
long distances, listened to the show, and I loved it. And to think that there's people out there doing that with my show, it it just brings a smile to my face. So I'm really happy that I can provide this for people to listen to, you know, doing whatever it is they're doing. Oh, which reminds me, I got another message from Dimitri. He says, hi, Keith. First of all, congratulations for the great work you've been doing on the New Scene podcast. Excellent guests, fantastic content, and great conversations. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while, as it keeps me good company while working on graphic design and animation projects. And Dimitri is in a band called Faluda. That's F-A-L-O-O-D-A. Their demo comes out February 29th, so keep an eye out for that. Thank you for the nice message, Dimitri. See, I like that, you know, I'm just imagining somebody sitting there working and listening to my show to get them through the day. I love that because I did the same thing with all the other shows I've listened to throughout the years. And that is it for this week. So we are going to end the show with The Judas Factor who released the LP Ballads in Blue China on Revelation Records in 1999. I've loved this album since it came out. I urge you all to go check it out if you have not heard it and are a fan of Rob Fish. And we're going to end the show with the song My Favorite Stranger. I'll add the song to the New Scene 2024 Spotify playlist. Make sure you go check out that playlist. I add all the bands who have been on the show this year. I add my recommendations. And there's a playlist for each year the show has been active, so there's plenty to go back and listen to. I'm back next week with another big, big guest who's been in a lot of classic, classic bands. And I'm very excited to bring you this episode. So see you next week.